This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in. This is AOA. Hard to believe it's already Monday, January 10th, but... Here we are. Folks, we've got a busy show today. We're going to be talking weather with John Brannick of DTN here in just a minute. We're going to see how far into the future this cold snap might be sticking with us. Then Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, will join us. A lot of things happened last week in Washington, D.C. A few things didn't, and Jackie's going to give us an update on all of that. And then finally, at the end of the show, Matt Bennett from agmarket.net will join us. We'll talk about just what's going on in these markets today. Has this rally stalled? Well, stick around. Matt Bennett will answer that question when we start the discussion. But first, we are still compiling data from 2021, and it was a big year. In a large part, it was a big year for American agricultural exports, in particular meat. Dan Halstrom, the president and CEO of U.S. Meat Export Federation, is joining us today. Dan, you got some new numbers from November. How did they look? Yeah, good morning, Mike, and thanks for having me. Yeah, the the momentum that we saw the last few months uh, continues, uh, especially on the beef side. Uh, we're looking at uh, very large numbers, uh, record on the value side for beef, a little over a billion exported uh, globally uh, in the month of November. Uh, and, and I think the encouraging thing is it continues to be broad-based growth. It's not just any one country or Japan, Korea, China. Central South America all saw good growth on the beef side. So, yeah, we're, we're excited as we start the new year here. That is exciting. We love to see folks around the world getting exposed to and getting used to the high quality of American protein. Dan, you mentioned we're, we saw some good exports this last year to Asia in particular. You touched on South Korea, China, and Hong Kong. Of those places, South Korea and China, China is fairly new on the block for beef imports from the U.S. at least. How do you think they're going to fare looking out through 2022 with Australia coming back into the picture in a bigger way? Well, that's a good point, not only for China, but for all of Asia. Um, you know, we, we do estimate that China's going to have more, uh, I'm sorry, Australia's going to have more availability of production to go into Asia, including China, especially the last half of 2022. But we're still forecasting growth going into 2022 uh, on the beef side and the pork side, for that matter. Um, it'll probably be, uh, you know, maybe not as aggressive growth. Uh, I think our forecast is somewhere in the 4 to 5% growth range off of this year's anticipated record. But, uh, uh, yeah, still, still pretty optimistic, though. I mean, uh, you know, U.S. beef, especially in China, is unique. Uh, even compared to Australia. So I think to some extent, uh, you know, that high-quality, grain-finished, uh, rich taste that we have is unique, and, and to some extent, uh, uh, there's not a lot of competitors for it. That's true. And Dan, I think we need to spend a little bit of time talking about pork, and I want to get to those in just a second. But as you look back over 2021, we saw the pandemic change the way a lot of countries secure their protein needs. I think this maybe was especially true in China and Hong Kong with that explosion of African swine fever. As things normalize here post-pandemic, as we get through 2022, are there any 
political goals do you want to see made permanent in order to ensure that we can continue accessing these markets and, you know, particularly in Asia due to COVID? Well, I think that uh, if you look at access, you hit on it. Access is key, right? And, uh, you know, there's some, uh, you know, of course, we'd love to see uh, some sort of progress on a phase two for China, um, you know, which would help uh, uh, solidify that access. Um, of course, you know, the consideration to get back into some form of TPP, things like this would be, of course, very, very interesting for us. But uh, I think when you look at COVID specifically, uh, there's some trend lines that are going to stay with us. I mean, one is the explosion in e-commerce. Uh, we've seen it explode in the U.S., but really it's a, it's a whole different paradigm in some of these foreign markets. Uh, you look at Korea. Korea is probably, probably the gold standard when it comes to e-commerce platforms. Uh, and, you know, there's been some studies saying that by the year 2025, you know, 30 to 40 percent of their grocery sales could be in some form of e-commerce in Korea. You know, so this, this is a trend that started well before COVID. The trend was more of a trend for convenience, you know, for high-quality convenience. Uh, don't have to go to the store. You can just order it online. It's waiting for you when you get home. That's the sort of trends we saw pre-COVID. And then, of course, when COVID hit, you know, the minimal contact aspect, you know, the, the health concern aspect just even, you know, uh, gyrated the, you know, the demand even that much more throughout throughout the world. But I'm using Korea as the example. Interesting. A lot of these, th these changes are going to be here with us for some time. I want to circle back to pork. Exports were, again, strong in November. Dan, what did you see on the pork side? Yeah, we're, we're very encouraged on the pork side. Uh, you know, the, as we expected, China numbers were down as they repopulate, uh, you know, their herds uh, due to ASF. But ASF is not gone. I mean, it's, it's still an issue in China. And uh, we're down about 50% year on year off of a very big year last year for China. But we made the difference up with other markets. You look at Mexico up 34%, Central America up 30%, South America up 24%. You know, the... Uh, the, 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 uh, the Latin American area of the world has just been booming for pork. And, um, you know, the food service business is pretty much getting back on track. Tourism is starting to pick up. So uh, it complements pretty well the rest of Asia. You know, when you look at Korea's up, uh, you have the Philippines up for the year. Some, some other key Asian markets are up. But the real driver on the pork side of making up this deficit from China has been Latin America. So, uh, yeah, we're we're gonna we're even with a year ago through through eleven months, so we're we're figuring that we're gonna be somewhere around steady to maybe just down slightly when the December stats come in, which to me is is pretty remarkable off of last year's record when you consider China's down as much as it is. So I think the broad based diversification of our export markets uh, as a strategy is key. Those Latin American Latin American markets that stepped in this past year, do you think this is a permanent shift? Will they be importing more meat for the foreseeable future? I think they will be. And I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, COVID aside, what's happening in these markets? Well, you have, uh, you have an increasing middle class for the most part through a lot of these key markets. I look at a market like Guatemala, Panama. You go into South American area, Colombia. Uh, these markets are legitimate markets. You know, 10 years ago, we weren't talking about them very much. But I tell you, every month we're talking about some of these key markets that, you know, like a Guatemala and a Colombia. 
So as these markets, the middle class grows, there's increased demand for high quality, safe products, and, and the U.S. is perfectly positioned to take advantage of that those trends. That is fantastic. And exports to Asia have stayed strong. South Korea really uh, shined in that report. Yeah, Korea. Korea has been phenomenal. Um, you know, and, and you know, the, we got the chorus agreement there. So once again, back to access and being on a level playing field. If we're able to do that. Uh, as a as an industry, pork and beef, uh, we can compete and compete very effectively. Things to keep an eye on. This was Dan Halstrom from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Thanks for dropping by and giving us an update, Dan. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll be talking weather with John Baranek of DTN. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best doctors. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. 
Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are moving the show along here on this Monday. And next up, it's time to talk about weather. The Northern Plains has been blasted by this cold front over the past several days. It looks like it's moving a little bit to the east. Joining us to discuss it is John Baranek of DTN. And John, it looks like it's going to be nearly 40 degrees up in Cutbank, Montana today. That cold finally starting to move away. Yeah, you got it, Mike. Uh, you know, these uh, Arctic blasts have been moving through over the last couple of weeks, but, you know, over the past week or so, when we get them, they're moving fairly quickly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 15, 20 below up here in Minnesota. Uh, I thankfully am not in that cold right now, but it's moving its way eastward and it's going to push through Canada here over the next couple of days. Uh, and the warmer temperatures are building in behind it. So, like you mentioned, uh, you know, in Montana and in the, in the high plains out there, it's going to be in the 30s and 40s today and then that's going to really spread across uh, much of the country here through the week uh, the the north is going to be a nice break for a lot of us up here in the north it will how warm is it going to get and how far north john what do you see happening in the dakotas over the next couple of days yeah so we're looking at temperatures getting into the 30s and 40s across the dakotas which is about 15 degrees or so 15 20 degrees above normal uh for high so that's that's a nice big warm-up uh, especially since we were talking about 30 to 40 degrees below normal for for quite some time for those areas. So that's a huge, huge pick me up for those uh, folks out there who really hate the cold. Uh, you know, it's, the the warmth is going to do something though. You know, temperatures going above freezing uh, is not going to be good for for those folks out there with livestock. You know, or see somebody fields um, those areas of snow will have some melting and and, and stuff going on too. So that's going to create a little bit of a hazard, but. Now, anybody who has to work outside is going to feel good doing it. It's going to be a little bit more pleasant. John, one of the challenges we've seen, particularly in December, is when we get these warm-ups, this flush of, of moist, warm air coming out of the Gulf, and it collides with that really cold Arctic front, we've been getting some active weather. Looking out over this next week, do you see any of that developing? Not really. Uh, when you got, like, like you said, it's really the contrast between the warm and cold that really drives a lot of precipitation. We saw that over the weekend across the Mid-South region again, along the Ohio River, down through the Delta region. We had some flooding, um, and that was the cold Arctic air moving into that warm air mass. Uh, but with the warming temperatures going on across the U.S. here this week, we, and the little systems that move through aren't going to produce a whole lot of precipitation. There's one caveat to that. There's a little system here that's going to move through late this week, really kind of start building across the Dakotas. But really, Minnesota and Iowa is going to get uh, the, the first piece of it uh, with some moderate to heavy snow potential. And then that kind of dips down into the southeast for the weekend. Uh, so we'll, we'll still have a, a little system here moving through, but it's not going to be on the uh, um, you know the, the flooding front. We're not going to see any, any issues with, with flooding, I don't think. Well, and I know it's still a couple of days away. I'm sure the models need to firm up. But as you look at that snowfall hitting the uh, the central plains, that Minnesota, Iowa, down in through there, do you expect that on Thursday or is this going to be a Friday into the weekend type snow event? 
it's a Friday event for, for Minnesota and Iowa as it kind of gets kind of further south through Illinois and into the Ohio River Valley. It's more of a Friday night into Saturday kind of thing right now. Uh, you know, as we saw last week, the models changed a little bit. You know, last week we were talking about the big heavy snow across uh, southern Illinois, Indiana, Ohio that moved down to Tennessee and Kentucky where they had a whole bunch of heavy snow. Uh, so we can still see some movement in that uh, this week. Uh, but right now what it's looking at is, is Iowa and Minnesota on Friday and then uh, it kind of down the Mississippi River uh, Friday night into Saturday. All right. We'll keep our eye on that. John, looking out at the West Coast, you know, 2021 was full of warnings. Farmers' water was getting shut off. We were seeing battles between rural communities and urban communities over water in Arizona and California and Nevada. As you look out at the Sierra Nevada so far this winter, I I've been hearing good things. Are they recharging some of their moisture and getting some of their reservoirs to refill for this next growing season? They have. If you've uh, if you've heard about Lake Tahoe, which is right there in the Sierras between California and Nevada, they had their snowiest winter or snowiest December on record. So they've have really had a, a good uh, shot of recharging, uh, basically up and down the mountains. Um, so you know everybody who depends on the mountain snow melt in the springtime is going to is going to do well. Um, you know, we've at least built up enough where we're, we're above normal for this time of year. Now we need, we need it to continue. Uh, you know. It's, we don't make uh, if we shut everything down now. It's not gonna it's not gonna be good for for springtime because uh, we'll end up below normal in snowpack across uh, the mountains out there. But you know if we can keep this continuing at least in some fashion every so often, uh, we'll be in good shape. Usually during the La Nina season, that happens up in the Pacific Northwest. We've already seen a lot of that drought uh, dissipating over the last several weeks. We've had good precipitation out there. We kind of shut that down here this week as we kind of warm up a bit. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're sitting in good shape up there. Um, and La Nina typically leads to some pretty good precipitation in the Pacific Northwest during the winter season. So uh, we're expecting this to continue, even though we're having kind of a break this week and possibly next as well. Well, as you think about La Nina, you know, we've been tracking that uh, that oscillation index down in the Southern Pacific. John, what's it been doing? Do we continue to strengthen this La Nina situation? Uh, it's going through a short and brief period of strengthening right now. Um, not getting too technical, but the, the, the oceans are, are cooling a little bit right now. Um, it's just going to be kind of like a little brief thing. And we're, we're, we're really peaking right now. So we're getting some of the coldest temperatures in the Pacific right now. Uh, by the time we get to the beginning of January, uh, February, uh, we'll start to go on the, the decline or, or regular or rising temperatures in the Central Pacific. Um, but, you know, it's all going to be about timing. How fast does that warm up and how, how quickly can we get into our, our end zone neutral conditions instead of and get out of La Nina? Interesting. I've heard a lot of growers, particularly in the Central Plains, getting concerned about dryness. It has been very dry there across the Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma, all the way up through Kansas. John, as this La Nina oscillator works its way back towards neutral here later on in the spring, should we anticipate an uptick in rainfall for those parts of the country? Unfortunately, when La Nina and so goes neutral, um, you know, that's that's our big overall climate driver across North America. And when that goes away, and we have to look at more of these little smaller sub-seasonal things. And uh, those are harder to predict several months out. So um, what, we, what we do at DTN is, is we kind of look at analog years or years that look similar to our year now. 
where the forecast is going, where we've been, and use those years to kind of guide us, okay, how did the spring turn out? If conditions today here in January 2022 look like those in January of 2001, how did 2001 turn out? And are there several years that kind of follow that same pattern where, you know, we can look at it? And unfortunately, uh, when we look at that, our analog years tend to point us towards drier conditions, especially in the southern plains, all the way through this summer. Um, so, you know, it doesn't mean we're not going to see any precipitation. You know, we've been kind of getting jobs uh, for a lot of these areas. Uh, systems go through, but they don't produce hardly any precipitation. Or they get skipped over entirely. Um, but, so we're not going to see we're not going to see that through the entire summer where we stay completely dry. Um, but but uh, you know, drier than normal looks to be on tap for this entire growing season. Unfortunately, for the Southern Plains. Okay, John, what analog years are you looking at? Is 2001 one that you've got in mind as a potential for this year? That is one of them, which is why I mentioned it, I guess. Uh, there are several others, and I think that's a little proprietary, so I can't divulge all of them. Um, and I, I, I hate to, to mention one of the other ones that's kind of on, closer to the top of our list, which is the 2011-2012 season, because we all know how that turned out. Um, but we're not really trying to predict or equate anything with that season here, the 2012 growing season. Um, well, I'm glad you mentioned, John, and that was kind of why I asked the question, was I've heard some folks looking at particularly subsoil moisture maps from 2011-2012 and making comparisons to 2022, 2021, obviously tail end of that year. And so there's there are some comparisons there you're seeing, but there are also some differences, it sounds like, between that year in, in your outlook. Right. And, and one of the big, you know, um, uh, similarities is, you know, the 2010-2011 season, winter season, was also a La Nina. So it was the 2011-2012 season was a, a double dip La Nina, just like we're doing right now. Uh, the year before in 2011 got really dry in the plains. And, you know, 2021 got real dry in the plains at the end of the year. Uh, so there, there are some similarities with that. What we're not seeing in terms of similarities kind of happened uh, with the rest of the country. Um, you know, we didn't see, you know, the, the super wet south and eastern Corn Belt uh, as, as much. And, uh, you know, what we're looking at uh, this year is a little bit different than that. So we'll have to see um, if the drier conditions we are expecting out in the plains uh, really migrate their way out to the, the eastern Corn Belt or not. There's uh, some right. with that, and we're talking about several months in advance, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of time to go. A lot of time to go, that is for sure. John Brannick of DTN Weather, thanks for talking to us. And folks, when we come back, Jackie Fatka, Farm Progress. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away, more AOA coming right up. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we start off our Monday, we have weakness in the grain markets led lower by soybeans and wheat futures. Now, we did get a sale of corn to Mexico reported this morning from USDA, 5.2 million bushels to be exact, 3 million of which were for this marketing year, the rest for the following season. Now, the ag markets face a big week ahead with USDA scheduled for its biggest data dump of the year on Wednesday, reports known for their surprises. The January numbers, in fact, are ones that we could see changes to pretty much every single number on the report. We also have a focus on South American weather right now, uh, along with Wednesday's massive USDA reports. Key numbers to watch include production estimates for Argentina and Brazil quartered soybeans, final U.S. 2021 quartered soybean yields, U.S. corn, wheat, and soybean December 1st quarterly stock estimates, as well as the winter wheat seeding survey results. All of these numbers have the potential for surprises that could alter market direction going forward. They could offset one another, or they could have an additive effect. This is a pivotal week for the commodities. Right now on the board, March corn down five and a quarter, six oh one and a half. May corn down five and a quarter, six oh two and a half. January soybeans thirteen lower, thirteen eighty eight and a half. March beans down fifteen and a quarter, thirteen ninety five. Bean meal, bean oil down moderately. March Chicago wheat five lower, seven fifty three and a half. March Kansas City wheat down ten to three quarters, seven sixty four and a quarter. March spring wheat down eight and a quarter at nine fifteen. Lower action in cattle and hogs as well. February live cattle down 41.3692. April down 90, 141.15. January feeder cattle 75 lower, 161.35. February hogs 105 lower, 78.60. April down 125 at 86.10. Crude oil down 60 cents at 78.30. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. Block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. You know, we've talked a lot over the past two weeks about the weather in Washington, D.C., and it's good to keep caught up on what they're doing on the ground in Washington, D.C. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor from Farm Progress, joins us today. Jackie, thanks for making the time to talk to us. 
Always great to talk with you, Mike. Last week, we were expecting, we in the ag community, were expecting a couple decisions from the Supreme Court about whether or not they were actually going to hear cases related to E15, related to the Clean Water Act, and related to Proposition 12. Jackie, we were supposed to get that news on Friday, did we? No. Um, the uh, Supreme Court actually was spending a lot of their time on Friday on the vaccine mandate and how that impacts those folks who have employees of 100 or more, as well as the Medicaid and Medicare uh, healthcare workers. And so nothing official yet on some of those ag cases that we were watching. Uh, you mentioned the Prop 12, which is the the, the amendment that was uh, taken up out of California to require space requirements for sows. I call it bacon gate, um, but we're, we could see a lot um, a lot more restrictions on the size of sow gestation crates, which would impact farmers all over the country. So the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation had challenged that because of what California is doing, it would impact farmers everywhere. And so we're still waiting for that. Um, there's no official word on that. So we're hoping maybe a delay of a week on that, but it's another waiting game. And same thing with the E15 case. Okay, both just got pushed to the back burner. That vaccine mandate thing, I, I know a lot of folks in ag are watching that, Jackie. What did the Supreme Court say? Is there another hearing coming up soon? So they did not have anything official out on that. They're, uh, we're probably going to see maybe some decision on whether they would stay that rule uh, yet here the start of this week. And so um, I think we could, because of the fact that that could be implemented soon, I think the Supreme Court will make a decision on that and at least uh, decide on whether they would stay the implementation of that rule. And from what the justices were seemingly uh, saying during that discussion on the mandate, it, it does seem maybe likely that they would put a stay in place and allow for more time to consider the the actual standings of that of that going forward. Okay, we'll be watching the news for some of those headlines. Jackie, the other thing happening in Washington, and it's really starting to heat up, are discussions over the waters of the U.S. rule. I understand the EPA actually did a hearing, brought in some voices from agriculture last week. What have you heard about that? Yeah, so this was on Thursday. There was a, a small business administration hearing that allowed the key individuals from the Army Corps as well as the EPA these are the career folks who are actually there working on implementing this rule and, and writing the rule itself uh, offered the um, t time for stakeholders to make their voices. And this was an agriculture specific stakeholder uh, roundtable discussion and great discussion, great insight provided by farmers on the fact that they, uh, you know, farmers really liked that. And the reason why they liked it is because it really provided a bright line on, on being able for a farmer to look out and say what what actually constitutes a water. Um, and, and I think actually one of the most fascinating parts of that discussion was a farmer in Illinois who shared that he is, is basically being touted as someone who is the reason why this administration needs to change the rule and go back to something different. But what he's actually done is spent $60,000 of his own money to create a beautiful pond on his farm with $10,000 from NRCS to create a great wildlife habitat. That's not 
that does not sound like environmental degradation Mm -hmm. to me. And that was a great voice to say, you know, he was able to talk about how the customer service at the Armored Corps of Engineers is not able and capable to really deal with some of what farmers want to do. Farmers want to do the right thing. And, you know, this was a great opportunity for farmers to make their voices heard. And they, and, and I do believe that these folks who are writing these rules heard that. So, you know, here's hoping that they, they recognize the, the need for clarity and writing a rule that keeps some of those important exclusions in like prior converted cropland and the concerns that they're expressing about a significant nexus, what that actually means on your farm and, and having that true voice of farmers was loud and clear and hopefully sits in. That is good to hear. You know, in the past week, we've had several conversations about what was, and that significant nexus test has come up repeatedly. When we were talking to the National Association of Counties last week, they said that makes it very difficult to try and plan ahead. Folks want, as you mentioned, Jackie, that bright line to know, is this property protected or is it not? And it sounds as though the Biden administration is at least hearing those viewpoints. They are. And the Trump rule was very specific on what is classified as a feature that would be under federal jurisdiction. And yes, that significant nexus is very concerning. I think a lot of people are um, are being asked to make their comments. EPA has a comment period open right now until the start of February on that. Something I'm hearing here at the Farm Bureau meeting, even former Secretary Purdue, while he was speaking today, was talking about how this, if done wrong, could be catastrophic for ag. And that's not something we re- need right now as we see rising input costs for farmers. Yeah, yeah, there are challenges around every corner. And you mentioned you are down in Atlanta at the uh, American Farm Bureau annual meeting. Jackie, there are a lot of things coming out of Washington, D.C. this year connected to agriculture. As you're talking to growers at the meeting, what are some of the bigger concerns you're hearing about? Well, you mentioned we just talked about WOTUS, and I think that that is a very top of mind issue for for farmers here. Um, I think as we are coming out of 2021, I think we saw some policy wins for agriculture. And in some ways, that's actually what was not approved, right? We did not see some of the harmful proposals on stepped up basis and changes in the estate tax. And so that was a win for agriculture. Um, I think also agriculture being recognized as part of the climate solutions, right? We are no longer seen as the the bad guy on the block, but we have been able to come out of this um, bipartisan understanding that agriculture can be part of the sustainability solutions that we need for our climate. Um, and so those are, you know, two two issues, but, but being able to, um, we're still not out of the water yet on Build Back Better, but I think that we are close. But, you know, rising input costs, fertilizer costs, that is a huge, huge issue for for farmers and that inflationary pressure that comes from that. Now, here as we move on to day two of the uh, Farm Bureau annual meeting, Jackie, has any any policy yet been decided and voted upon by the members? So, uh, you know, Farm Bureau is a unique organization that 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 takes grassroots policy and implements that on whatever they 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 advocate for in D.C. and their policy discussion will be Tuesday morning. So that that will be. Um, important to 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 watch and see there's nothing really big this year that they're debating a change in policy but 
you know, this is what drives the 6 million members um, advocacy. And, and the Farm Bureau is the largest farm organization and they do wield a lot of power in D.C. And it is an important um, policy discussion of, of being able to have that continued grassroots focus. And that'll be Tuesday morning here. And I understand you might get a some comments or perhaps Secretary Vilsack is going to make an appearance. What have you heard? Yeah, Secretary Vilsack is scheduled to speak later this morning and um, will actually be speaking here at the meeting and then also heading out to the uh, Federation of Southern Cooperatives to make an announcement there this this afternoon as well, probably to help continue to make sure that we are offering funding to some of those underserved farmers. And so, yep, he's he's here in Georgia, and it's it's very common for the ag secretaries to to come to this meeting because, like I said, it, it is the largest farm organization, a lot of influential folks from all over. You've got your State Farm Bureau presidents who come here, your, your members, your committee members, but, you know, a lot of folks who really care and love for agriculture. What has been the response down there in Atlanta from the people about the Biden administration's new meat action plan for competition. Uh, they released it last week. Have you heard much thoughts on uh, how we should handle the meat industry in this country? You know, there's a lot of uh, discussion here about cattle markets. And, um, you know, early on a Sunday afternoon, the uh, chief economist, John Newton, for the Senate Ag GOP, the Republicans, who used to be the former economist at the Farm Bureau, um, he talked some about the cattle markets and, and just making sure that whatever is done is is not done in a way that distorts the market. Um, he had some great insight about, you know, we have all this focus on the packers, but if you actually look at the spread of who's making more money now versus 1970, the retail portion of your food dollar is actually much higher than the spread that's been increased with the packers. And so retailers are are able to capitalize on some of the situation a lot more. Um, and so there's, a, I know he, he mentioned that there's gonna be some more research going on right now in the next couple of weeks as they gear up for that livestock mandatory reporting reauthorization, which expires when the CR does in mid-February. And so I think at the end of the day, um, there is not a consensus. And so when you talk about the White House and what they did on the action plan, you know, they offered some support for some legislative solutions. Uh, but, you know, a lot of what they announced last week was things that they've already previously announced. And so um, part of that is uh, re reassessing the product of the USA label and giving USDA the tools to do that. Finding a way uh, to make it a little more flexible. Jackie, that makes yep. a lot of sense. Certainly appreciate your insight and update on what is happening in Washington, D.C. Have fun down in Atlanta. Thanks so much. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100. 
and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, 
the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Lots of things happening in Washington, D.C. Lots of things happening on LaSalle Street in Chicago. Markets are reacting today. Matt Bennett of eggmarket.net is going to join us to talk about it. Matt, it seemed like no traders wanted to go home short the soybean market on Friday, and they're maybe changing their mind a little bit today. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, you looked overnight, you know, and the, the opening call was that we were going to be up. And I think a lot of folks thought we might be up substantially. You know, most of the uh, rainfall over the weekend and the heat was, you know, fairly intense, especially in Argentina and in the areas of southern Brazil that we've had the issues. But uh, uh, you also had that lingering uh, rainfall out there in the whole seven or eight day window that they were talking about last Friday. And I think that that's kind of built a little bit and it's helped people to feel like, well, on the other side of this, we're actually going to get some rainfall. So uh, definitely some uh, money is getting pulled off the table. Can't forget that big Wednesday report is ahead. And I got to think that some of these folks that have been long beats, they've made a ton of money lately. And you've got to think that they're kind of pulling some of that money to the side for the time being. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're just heading into a riskier week than we've had over the past couple of weeks. You touched on the drought down in Brazil. USDA reports on Wednesday. We've got their supply and demand estimate and quarterly grain stocks. Matt, as you look ahead to Wednesday, which of those two reports do you think is going to have a bigger move on the markets? Well, that's a good question. If I was going to look at which one is typically going to have a bigger uh, impact, on the outset, it's almost always going to be, what's the final crop size? What's the carryout look like? I think as you begin to digest the numbers, though, you know, most of your traders want to look at what's the combination of this entire situation. Uh, Whenever I look at, for instance, the quarterly stocks numbers, I've got to think that whenever it comes to corn, some of the basis levels we've seen in the outright urgency that we've seen from some of these originators to get a hold of corn tells me that maybe those corn stocks are going to be a little lighter than what we've thought. I do, I, you know, I'm well aware that the uh, export inspections have been running behind, but there's no doubt that in certain parts of the U.S., I've seen basis levels that I didn't think we'd see whenever we just posted what the USDA called was a record yield here on sizable acreage. So, you know, there's no question that uh, on corn, 
this stock situation might be interesting. On beans, I haven't seen the urgency. I've got to think that those bean stocks could be just a little bigger, and I've got to kind of feel like this bean report might have just a few more beans in them, but the big question mark is going to be, what are they going to do? How are they going to address South American production? Because USDA is typically a little bit laggard in their approach towards production in South America, and right now they're definitely by far and away the highest estimate out there amongst the, uh, the big agencies. And we're starting to see some pretty big cuts from some of these other uh, grain marketing folks about South America, 10, 15 million metric tons down on their soybean crop. Where's your head for, uh, for excuse me, Brazilian crop numbers on this report, Matt? You know, I've got to think where, you know, instead of getting under that 135, I just don't think that that's where the USDA is going to go. You know, this uh, 140 plus number, in my opinion, has kind of gone to the wayside. So I'm going to nestle somewhere in that 136 to 138 range for the USDA. I don't think they'll take near as big a cut as some of these uh, folks have. It'd be very interesting to see what happens tomorrow with CONAB numbers. You know, what are they going to do? Because uh, uh, that's definitely going to be something that we'll all be paying very close attention to. But as far as USDA, I don't think they'll take near as big of a cut as what some of your private firms have. And, you know, you can thinking back on the corn side of the market here, Matt, you touched on that hot basis. And it's hot, not just in areas that were droughted out last year. I mean, we've been seeing strong basis across Illinois, Indiana, parts of Ohio. As you think about the USDA looking over this next year with their export demands, with their ethanol demands, looking well at the demand picture, Matt, where do you see them making some adjustments on this January report? Well, you could make the case, you know, that the USDA could cut exports uh, for corn. Uh, I don't know that they will. I really uh, don't know they will. I, I've got to think that they're going to want to get a little farther into this window whenever you typically start to see uh, corn export inspections pick up significantly, uh, you know, because bean shipments are going to start to fade. Uh, that's what typically happens. And so I'm not sure they'll make an adjustment there. I do feel like they'll add maybe another 50 million bushel of ethanol, uh, corn grind for ethanol. You know, I think as far as feed usage goes right now, it's probably up in the air. I don't know that they'll make a lot of adjustments there. And so, you know, Ag Market and myself, you know, we've kind of been looking at uh, uh, lowering this carryout at least 50 million bushels. We kind of feel like that's where the USDA might reside. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of coincides with what your quarterly stocks numbers look like. But uh, there's no doubt that uh, there could be some adjustments made uh, that could tighten this balance sheet up just a little bit. And I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we don't see at least a 50 million drop, uh, you know, as far as, uh, as your carryout's concerned. And that's on the corn side, Matt, over on the wheat side, the wheat complex has come under pressure here recently. Anything on Wednesday that could turn that around? Well, you know, if you would end up with, uh, you know, as far as wheat's concerned, this is not typically a big, uh, you know, report for wheat. It's it's more along the lines of corn and soybeans. But, you know, what what's acreage look like here for wheat? I know a lot of folks are uh, wondering just how much of your soft red wheat was planted. Uh, you know, ultimately, uh, there hadn't been what you would call cheap feed wheat over the last several months, but the wheat market's actually taken on the chin here over the last few, uh, you know, trading sessions. And so, uh, it definitely looking for some good news. What kind of good news could you see? Well, again, I think if you would see maybe a little bit of a, more of a cut in acreage, that it could certainly be supported towards that wheat market. Do you see uh, spring wheat acres coming up this next year, Matt, and the growers you've talked to? You know, you've got to think so. I know that a lot of folks have talked about it. 
you know, especially whenever you posted $10 for some time. Obviously, we're significantly below that now, but still, you know, uh, 915, you know, you get on your deferred months, you're still at 875. You know, there's no doubt that those are still some pretty healthy prices and things that people are going to take a close look at. So I think this acreage battle is going to be very interesting. And you get past this report, and that's what we're going to focus on. And it's going to be an all-out all out battle from several different commodities. An all-out battle. I think that's an apt way to describe the coming 2022 season. Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, thanks for joining us. And folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll have an update on the E15 challenge in front of the Supreme Court. Thanks for tuning in today. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.